So this morning's reading is taken from 1 Titus, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Doing good for the sake of the gospel. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. Amen. But we're looking this morning at Titus chapter 2. We're looking at these first 10 verses. Next week we're continuing from verse 11 to 15, but just these first 10 verses today. And the lens that I want to use to look at this passage is really, I think, what is concerning Paul here. That's a a lens. I don't know if you've picked that up, but uh, that's the idea. Um, But the the lens that I want to look through uh, is the one that I think uh, concerns Paul when he, when he thinks about Titus and how he's got to minister in Crete. And I think it comes up in, in three verses. I think it comes up in verse 1, in verse 5, and verse 10. And it sort of gives us an anchor point for what Paul's trying to say in these verses. Verse 1, it's called sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Timothy is to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine or what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You know, Christianity, it's not a set of rules, is it? It's not a set of rules. People often think it is, (laughs) you know, but it isn't. I remember being out on the street once during a a kid's camp. We went out with a survey and we were asking people what they thought of the Bible. Oh, you know, it's got got good rules in it. It's got good morals to live by. Um, It really hasn't. um, (laughs) If that's what you think, you've missed the point. Uh, The rules that it tells you and the morals that it lives by are impossible. That's the point. The law's given to help us to see that we can't do it. And then we need somebody who can uh, change us and transform us. And that's what Jesus does, isn't it? Christianity isn't a set of rules to to live by. It's an outworking of something that's happened inwardly. That's what it is, really. It's an outworking of something that's happened inwardly. So in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We need to work out what God has worked in. God does something within us and then that comes out of us and it changes us and it transforms us. Now that doesn't mean that it's just a natural thing that happens and it doesn't mean that it's easy either. (laughs) If you've been a Christian any amount of time, you'll know that. It's not something that will just happen there is a sort of organic side to it the holy spirit does work in us but not without our consent it doesn't overrule us it doesn't control us 
You know, I, I think I've only really understood this this week, grasped this, what I've been thinking about this. The Holy Spirit, what he does is he gives us control of ourselves. Self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit gives, the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us control of ourselves. And teacher, teacher, Titus has to teach things that come out of sound doctrine. Now, not any doctrine, but biblical doctrine. Not just the latest wisdom. Not, you know, pick up the latest paper and see what's going on. Not the latest ideas. Not the latest cultural fads. That's what all the wrong teachers are doing. That's what all the bad teachers are doing. That's why Titus needs to get elders in the churches so that they can teach what is in accord with sound doctrine, biblical doctrine. What does God say effectively? We're not to live as we choose, but as one of the most challenging verses. Have you ever, you ever discovered this verse? Ephesians 5 verse 10, one of the most challenging verses in the New Testament. Find out what pleases the Lord. You know, you may think, well, I didn't know about that, or I didn't know, but we may, we may like to live in ignorance of certain things, because if we don't know about them, we don't have to do them. But Paul says, no, that's no good. He says, find out what pleases the Lord. Should be your desire to want to please God. That Father who has lavished his love upon us, find out what pleases him. Find out what he thinks is the best thing for you in your life. In context, Ephesians 5.10 says this, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. So, Paul is concerned that we work out what is in that we shine with the light that we have in us. And in, a, in order to be able to do that, we need to be taught that. We need teaching. And there are two reasons for this, I think. God works in us, and then he wants us to shine out. We need teaching to understand what that means. The Holy Spirit will help us, but we need to, our minds transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may not conform to this world. Romans 1, 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So we, we, God transforms us and wants to teach us how we're supposed to live our lives. And there's two reasons for that. Let's come out in verses 5 and verse 10. The, verse 5 is, if you, if you don't do that, if you say that you're a Christian but your life isn't transformed and you keep doing the things that you were and you're still enslaved to your sin, then you're going to look ugly to the world. He says in verse 5, so that no one will malign the word of God. There's a way of acting that can malign the word of God. And it happens when we go with the darkness rather than the light. It happens when we don't live according to sound doctrine or appropriate to sound doctrine. And Paul wants us to avoid that. He wants those who are Christians to avoid that. Because, you know, we were the uniform of Christ, don't we? Once we become a Christian, it's like we put that uniform of Christ on. David was shearing on Monday, sat next to him at the uh, Jubilee Tea, great time. And he was saying, what airport was it you was in, David, halfway around the world? Remember the story of the school kids? Forgot now. I'll, you may come to you as I'm going through. He said it was in this, I think it was somewhere like Kuala Lumpur or somewhere like that. It was in this airport. And he said, we saw these school kids over, yeah, can you remember where it was?
Right, okay, Singapore, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from George Spencer. <laughs> halfway around the world, probably more than halfway around the world, and they look, and there's these school kids, and they realise that they're from George Spencer. But interestingly, then he said this, he said, and they were an honour to the uniform. They were behaving themselves. And there was a sense, I felt, and you might want to correct me with the words I used, there was a sense that it travelled two-thirds of the way around the world, saw somebody who was a mile away from where he was, and they were doing honour to the uniform that they wore. And he was proud of them. And he thought, that's where I come from. There's an attractiveness about that, isn't there? We wear the uniform of Christ, don't we? Paul is saying we wear the uniform of Christ. And if we live like we used to, if we're just enslaved still to our own sinful desires, then the word of God is going to be blind. We're going to be ugly to the world, and nobody's going to be interested in who Jesus is. People can see us. But he also says the opposite is true. This is the encouraging thing. With lives lived with the Holy Spirit shining out through us, and when we live in accordance with sound doctrine, verse 10, they see the attractiveness of Christ. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Do you want to be ugly or do you want to be attractive? That's not a hard question, is it? <laughs> and I'm not talking about physically. Do you want to be ugly or do you want to be attractive? I think what Paul's saying here, he's saying, look, in Crete, for, in, in order for you to have an impact upon this island, don't be ugly, be attractive. Teach people what, what is right. And what is good, what is in accord with sound doctrine. So when they understand these things, what God works in, then they can work that out and other people will see it and they'll be attracted to Jesus. We can either put people off or we can draw people in. You know, I've lost count of how many times I've heard a testimony that goes along the lines of, well, I met these people and there was just something different about them. And I thought, I need to know what they know, and I need to have what they have. You hear it in lots of testimonies. The attractiveness of Christ that comes through well-lived lives. Lives that honour God. Working out what he has worked in. We can put people off, and we need to work hard not to do that. Because equally, God will shine through us and use us to attract people. So, I guess the big question is, what does it mean to live in accordance with sound doctrine? Well, thankfully, we don't just skip on to chapter 3. Paul takes some time to lay out for us. He talks about different groups in the church, doesn't he? And I think he does something here that he doesn't do anywhere else. He speaks to age-specific situations. As he's trying to help Titus on Crete, he obviously knows the Cretan situation very well. He's already talked about it in chapter 1. He's able to speak into it and some of the challenges that Titus faces there with generalities as well as specifics. So he talks to older men, he talks to older women, he talks to younger women, he talks to younger men, and he talks to slaves. All those groups fall out, don't they, in, in what he says in these verses. What are the temptations that face these people in Crete and then maybe for us further afield? Now look, here's the thing. If you're not an older man, and yet you're a bit 
prickled by one of the challenges in the older men list, then that doesn't mean you can say, well, that doesn't matter because I'm not an older man. <laughs> or a younger man. Or, you know, it's, it, they're age-specific things because he's trying to think about people in certain situations. But, of course, they're generalisations. And in a sense, they're for all of us, aren't they? All of them are for all of us. A bit like the elders that Titus has got to a point in Crete. Are, you know, the, the guys that are, are, are good disciples. They're, they're living, they're working out what God's worked in. And they're able to teach. That's the only difference. This is really a list for normal Christians. So all of this applies, in a sense, to all of us. But some of it is a bit more specific than that as well. So don't try and dodge the challenges, I guess, is, is what's going on. But I do think that Paul has, has just thought through, actually, some of the things that can affect people in different stages of life. It can be challenges that older men face because of the circumstances of life that younger men don't face as much. As your circumstances change, you may have more time. Some things become harder. You can feel your age. It can be easy to see how the world is, is changing quicker than you can keep up. Bitterness can start to creep in. Tendency to moan. You know how you like things, and you may not be as patient as you once were. There was a TV programme about five years ago that came out called Grumpy Old Men. And it was just men moaning. Just in, what do you think about this? Well, I mean, it's absolutely outrageous back in my day. It's easy, isn't it? There's a tendency, as people get older, to start to, to moan. And different things can creep in. Things that weren't a challenge maybe 30 years earlier, 20, 30 years earlier. But nobody likes a, a moaner. A whinger or a grump. You might be able to laugh sometimes at how they, how they put it, but ultimately, you don't want to be around people that are just draining the energy out of the room, do you, by telling you everything that's wrong all the time. So Paul says, be temperate, verse 2. Be worthy of respect. Remember, no matter how old you are, that respect is earned, not expected. He says, be self-controlled. Don't give in to the temptations of older age. Know what they are, because they'll be different to what they were 10, 20 years ago. The temptations will change as we get older. And we realise that. We might think that we're on top of certain things and we think, well, we're doing well now, but they're just not a temptation anymore. They used to be, but they're not now. But different things come in and we don't realise. Recognise them as they come up. Be sound in the faith, Paul says. Keep it fresh. Know what you believe. You have more time. Maybe. Use it in the word. Meet Jesus more often. Don't just do the minimum. And then you can pass it on to others. Not in an annoying way. <laughs> Don't assume that everybody younger than you should know what you know. You know more because you're older. But in a gentle way. Be sound in the faith. But make sure that that soundness is not just an intellectual thing. You're not just telling people that you know in your mind. Because you've also got to be sound in love. Love overcomes bitterness, helps you to serve, means you can deal with the physical aches and pains. And also be sound in endurance. Interesting, isn't it? That Paul is talking to the older people about enduring, not the younger people. Keep going. Keep on keeping on, as John says, the most important message pretty much sums up the New Testament. Keep on keeping on. Faith, hope, and love. Remember those three? Christian triad? 
Well, two of them are here and one isn't. This is faith, love and endurance. Not that they don't have to have a hope. Of course they do. But it seems here that Paul wants to make his point. He talks about being sound in faith, sound in love, but sound in endurance. I guess because endurance is needed more the older you get. And you know what? For some of you, that, just hearing that phrase might be liberating. <laughs> you might not have realised. Maybe that patience is the temptation. Things are harder. You thought you'd dealt with it. You know, after all those nights of getting up in the middle with the kids or whatever it was, middle of the night with the kids, you know, God taught you patience, and now you're finding that he needs to teach you it again. Endurance is needed in old age. Finish well. Keep your eyes on the prize. Endure the hardships of changing bodies and a changing world, and keep looking to Jesus, says Paul. Verse 3, he says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Again, it's that respect, isn't it? Think about what you do. What does he mean? Well, I think he goes on to say, he gives us two things that, that they need to be careful of. Slander and lots of wine. Let's take them each individually, shall we? Slander. Okay, now, you know, let's, let's be perfectly honest. I'm very much aware that I'm on thin ice talking about women, all right? I mean, I, you know... It's a no-win situation for me. I'm just going to try and bring out what's in the Word of God. But I may get away with this, I may not. If not, you know, get me afterwards. It's absolutely fine. It seems to me women pick up things blokes miss. Now, that's what happens in, in my life. If Katrina and I go out for a dinner, I'm just like, get back. And I'm like, that was great. The conversation was good. The food was good. Fantastic. And she'll say, yeah, but did you notice? And I'm like, notice what? How so-and-so did this, or so-and-so said that, and I'm thinking, she's got a sixth sense. The antenna's up. She picks it up. There's something going on. Well, I haven't, because I've just gone for a good time. I've just you know, enjoyed it. I just want to be in company. But yeah, but you, know, you need to be careful. Watch so-and-so. You, know, you need to be... I think so-and-so might need a visit next week. I'm like, where did that come from? She knows. She picks it up. Now, that's great, isn't it? Because I do. I miss things. Because the bloke, I'm, you know, I'm looking at one level not got that antenna she picks things up and recognizes things but i think this is the thing that paul's saying to the older women let's be careful because that's a good thing but be careful that that knowledge isn't used as power and then you don't start to slander and you use it to bring others down and i think it's linked with the next one as well don't be addicted to much wine now, Crete is the oldest wine-producing area in continuous use in Europe. Did you know that? I thought I'd Google it. I thought, you know, I'll find out. You know, is wine readily available on Crete? I'm pretty sure it is. It's a pretty good climate. I'm pretty sure it's the, it's the oldest producing wine area that's of continuous use in Europe. In fact, they've got a wine press that goes back more than 3,500 years. So it seems that the older women on Crete were enjoying their wine. And... It was easily available. It's not hard, is it? Maybe it was one of the ways of dealing with the pressures of the day. And Paul just says, be careful. Be careful. Have you understood the issue with alcohol? Have you understood the issue with alcohol? This helped me years ago. Somebody said, the problem with alcohol is once you've had a bit, you always want a bit more. That's the problem with alcohol. Do you know that? Once you've had a bit, you always want a bit more. 
That's why it can become addictive, of course. That's why we see lives ruined by alcohol. We need to understand that. Know your limits. Reputation is far more important than one more glass. Far more important. Know your limits. So, Paul talks about these, these warnings. You know, maybe when the, the wine starts to flow, the, the slander can easily come out. So he's saying, look, be careful. Be careful. Some of the things that are, that are positive can be turned into negative. Strength can become weaknesses. Be careful. And then he says, teach what is good. Pass on what you know to the younger women. Now, obviously, this needs to be done carefully and, again, gently, not judgmentally. And it's one of the hardest things to do in our culture because we've been conditioned by the world to um, expect older people to be interfering and judging us all the time. And it's just not true. It's not true. Older people can be there to help. They've, they've lived. They want to share some of their wisdom and their experience. They don't want to judge a lot of the time. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they struggle to know how to put it and what to say, but they, they would love some of the younger people to tap into their wisdom and to share things with them and talk to them. Love that. Love to be able to, to share in a, in a non-judgmental way, just impart some of that wisdom. Just think. Some of the younger people can think about some of the questions they can ask of some of the older folk. You know, we, we're, we're sort of conditioned individually to think that nobody's been through our situation before, and it's just not true. Often people have been. And it's opening those things up and helping others to see why and, and how they can help. Because, of course, it has to be done through relationships. One of the things that the church should do differently to the world it, is that it should have cross-age relationships. This is important. As Paul says here, older women are to get alongside and share and teach with younger women. And of course, that, I don't think these just apply to physical age as well. It could be spiritual age. People who have been grown up in the faith. You could have a younger woman in age teaching an older woman, but the, the older woman's not been a Christian very long. So there's that relationship that can happen. And for that to happen, both have to be willing. Effort needs to be made in building relationships. Just think through how we can do that. We try and do things within the church for that. Life groups, for example, or opportunities to, at different ages to come together and get to know each other outside of Sunday. Tea and coffee after the service. You can sit with somebody who's a bit younger or, or a bit older. It's easy to sit with, you, with your mates. Everyone does that. And that's okay some of the time, but it's not okay all of the time. For these cross-relational um, relationships, to cross-age relationships to build up, then we need to be putting in the time and the effort and the energy and thinking about how that works. And also, you know, I guess we need to not take offence when difficult things are brought up. Need to think through that. I always find it helpful. You know, whenever something's happened that I don't like very much and it, and it hurts a little bit, I'm, what I want to know is really, I want to think about the situation that's happened. I want to think, where, where was that person's heart? Were they doing that intentionally to hurt me or have they not realised and actually they were trying to help me? That can be incredibly powerful. You can forgive a lot if you realise that the other person's heart was probably in the right place, but they were a bit misguided or they got it a bit wrong. The next thing. You all right, Hazel? The next thing that Paul says is the younger 
women need to be taught to love their husbands and children. Does that sound strange to you? This is one that I just think that sounds a little bit strange. The, the younger women must be taught to love their husbands and children. I remember watching an episode of The Apprentice a few years ago. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I'm not particularly uh, recommending it to you. I don't watch it anymore. Uh, it's full of people who are far too on far too big ego trips for me uh, to do my head in. But the point is that they, they're given these challenges and they go to different places and this man, young man, young woman, sent over to France to do something. And they're, they're trying to think through what they've got to do. And the woman said, wait, um, do the French love their children? Do the French love their children? I mean, but, you know, people started laughing, saying, oh, what a stupid question. You know, of course the French love their children. But she was just trying to think through the thing that was going on. You see here it says, teach these younger women to love their husbands and their children. We think, well, surely that's obvious in it. But, you know, I think that's because things have, have naturally changed over the years. It may actually have been a bit different in the first century. And if it wasn't different, what does Christian love look like in the family? You know, this may have been countercultural in the day from Paul. Husbands were often partners who offered security, and love was secondary. Now, you know, we've been so conditioned in our culture to think love's the most important thing, this, and whatever that is. I mean, it's not biblical love. It's this warm, fuzzy feeling inside that you get. And once it's gone, then move on to somebody else. That's absolutely fine. That's what the world says. But we, when we see something like this, we recognise that, that we, love is important to us, isn't it? It is important. It may not have been back then. And Paul promotes it. These older Christian ladies have things to pass on. Verse 5, he says, to be, again, self-controlled and pure. Again, self-controlled. You know, self-controlled applies to all four groups. The older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women. It's not explicitly given to the older women. It's here, it's for the younger women, but it's the older women that have got to teach it. So obviously it applies to the older women. Because you can't teach something that you haven't understood and put into practice yourself. It's really the main thing that Paul says. These different groups of people, however, however old you are, self-control is incredibly important. Why is that? Well, because most of us struggle with earthly passions. All manner of different desires that rage within us. Here's a few, just to throw out. Bitterness, anger, lust self-pity, the need for love, the need for acceptance, pleasure at others' misfortune. All of these things are going on inside of us and around us. And Paul's saying we need control over those things. And the Holy Spirit will give us control over those things because part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We need the Spirit's help in controlling our passions. Otherwise, we'll be ugly and not attractive. So important. Next, he says, be busy at home. Be busy at home. Just take that one as red. We don't need to worry about that. Move on. Or maybe we do need to worry about that one. Maybe we do need to... Look, let's think about when Paul's writing what he's talking about. He's talking to women who were at home. That was the culture. He doesn't mean stay at home. He means when you're at home, be busy. That's the point, isn't it? There's an old phrase I don't think it's heard much nowadays, the devil makes work for idle hands. Remember that one? There's these little, what, proverbs or things that people come up with to put some of this teaching into practice. 
And then he says, be kind. And I think these two go together. There's busyness, make sure that you're busy, but also be kind. I think kindness, when kindness starts to go out the window, it's often because we're too busy. See, what happens when we get too busy is that we're only thinking about the things that we've got to do. We're not thinking about other people. The thinking is just, it's just up here. It's not, it's not going that way, is it? So be busy at home, but don't be too busy. Don't forget kindness. Be kind. Get the balance right. And then he says, be subject to your husbands. Which I'm sure you've all got absolutely no problem with whatsoever. And so we can just move on to the next point. The biblical teaching on manhood and womanhood is that we are equal but different. And this is rooted in the teaching of Christ being the head of his church. It's explained for us by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, an incredibly helpful passage. He is the head that we follow and we are subject to him. And the husband is the head that the wife follows and is subject to him. The head of the house. Well, that's incredibly important, that relationship between Christ and his church, because it helps us to understand the different roles of men and women within the household. Why do we submit to Christ? Why do we submit to Christ? Because we have to, because we're told to, because we know we must. Well, that's not why I do it. It might be why you do it, but it's not why I do it. None of those reasons. Why do we submit to Christ? Well, I think we know that he has our best interests at heart, don't we? I hope you do. I know that he's given himself for me, and I hope that you know the same. He sacrificed himself for me sacrificed himself, put my interests above his own. I was in a situation that I couldn't get myself out of, and so he died for me. So I have absolutely no problem with being subject to Christ. I know he loves me, I know he wants the best for me, I know he cares for me, and he sacrificed for me. Husbands, if you're doing that for your wives, they should have no problem subjecting themselves to you. If you're not, then that's a different issue. There is a responsibility that we have as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That is harder, I think. I really do. That is harder than a wife submitting to her husband. Now, not in all situations, of course. Paul's not saying that we need to put up with sinfulness and things like that. But the responsibility that men have towards their wives is incredibly important. This isn't a power trip. This isn't telling people what to do. This is teamwork. This is people pulling in the same direction rather than pulling away from each other. Not battling against each other. And that's God's order of things. That's how God wants things to be. That's how he says that things will work properly and will work well in the house. And then he talks to the younger men. You notice, uh, there's a little bit here, Titus isn't to teach the younger women. The older women have got to do that. Titus is to teach the younger men because, I presume, he's an older man. Self-control, again. But there's something different here as well. Paul just goes off, not off track, he's, he's on the same track, but he, he brings in something new. He talks about this idea of being an example. So things like integrity and soundness of speech become important. The way that Timothy conducts himself, the way that he lives his life will be looked at by the younger men. Reputation, again, respect, the things that are earned, they're all important. Young people need role models, people to look up to. So the older people need to be 
full of character. That's what Paul's saying. You know, live this life, Titus, and then other people will see it, and this will become attractive. And then finally, we're nearly there. I know time's gone. Uh, we're nearly there. He talks about this group, slaves. Now, you know, I do think that when you read Philemon, or Philemon, as it's probably pronounced, but as I was explaining to our life group on Thursday, I have a problem with putting an E in the middle of a word like that, so I just call him Philemon. <coughs> when you read that, Paul, I think, really sets the groundwork for undermining slavery. So he doesn't teach against it. He doesn't tell slaves to rise up, because that wouldn't work. What does he do? He tells master and slave to be brothers together in Christ. He tells them to have a different relationship. And, and, and over time, that will undermine slavery. And he says to these slaves here, and I think this shows us something of the power of the gospel. It shows that the gospel is so powerful, it can come to an enslaved person who actually can be free on the inside and show that freedom to the one who is their master. And this can be liberating teaching for people who are in that situation. Even though a physical slave, if they have spiritual freedom, it can work its way out in the way that they live their life. And show that inner freedom in outward obedience. They can please their master. Don't talk back. Don't steal. Show them that they can be trusted because God is their true master. And that will be recognized. Now, of course, you know, we don't think slavery is right. And thankfully, we live in a time when uh, it's officially been abolished. But, of course, it still happens in many places around the world. So I think that a lot of us can apply this, this teaching to our job situations. We can think about us... As employees, how we treat employers and how we do things. At work, are we those who want to do our job well? Do we know how we do our job well as a Christian? Do we know that it will either show us as ugly Christians or attractive Christians? Our God will either use it to extend the kingdom or the devil will use what we do to seek to destroy it. How we act, even in a slave situation, Paul says, is important. Wherever we are, and I'm sure all of us fit into the, the, a group, at least one group there. Wherever we are, how we live is incredibly important. We'll either be ugly or we'll be attractive. Which brings us right back to where we started. And you know, this isn't an exhaustive list. It shows an attitude of the heart that is outward rather than inward. Not just thinking about me, me first, but actually outward. Not self-seeking, but serving. This is an attitude that, that copies the Lord Jesus Christ, that looks to him. And God will help us to do that. So ultimately, with all of these things that Paul is, is, is encouraging Titus to do and get on with while he is in Crete, is, is this, I think. The challenge is really this. Are we showing ugliness as a result of our faith or are we showing attractiveness? And is that important to us? Is it important to us how we think outwardly?